welcome to another edition of the Nightly Nudes. Um, Ted, we've talked about, you know, 9-11 all week, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome for Americans to think back uh, of what happens when America's under attack. But also this week, it's really made me think that sometimes maybe the biggest attack is from within. I'm certain of that right now. Here it is, uh, number one. Happy September to everybody. Uh, you can't say happy 9-11, but we celebrated it on Monday, and we're going to continue to celebrate it because lessons have to be learned. We're celebrating the lessons learned. We got Mark Geist talking about lessons learned. Uh, when you get your arm blown off and your buddies die right at your feet because your government has abandoned you, I think the lesson is, is that uh, America has become a soft target. Not just a soft target, you know, uh, uh, tactically speaking, but spiritually speaking. People have lost direction. I want to remind everybody, we'll put it on the screen here, HunterNation.org. Mark and Keith and I, we want to raise our healthy voice about HunterNation.org. A lot of people want to know, what do I do? How do I change things? You know, I got, a, I got NFL tickets and a six-pack. Life's pretty good. Life isn't pretty good. We've been boondogged. We've been brainwashed. We've been propagandized that a, a simple life is okay as long as the treachery doesn't hit us in personally. Well, the treachery hit Mark Geist on the rooftop in Benghazi personally, and a lot of people are being hurt by our own government. We can't trust the FBI. With all due respect, if there's some good warriors at the FBI, the only good warriors in the FBI would be whistleblowers. I can't trust the FDA to protect my food and drugs. I will not respect uh, the Department of Justice after the, uh, the January 6th debacle of you know, pol political prisoners in the United States of America. So as we continue to remember the, the horrors and the heartbreak of 9-11-2001 and 9-11-2012, Mark Geis, in the aftermath, and again, it never goes away, but the hunting season is coming on. I just had the greatest tour of my life because I improvise, adapt, and overcome. I fight like a son of a bitch, and then I play my music. Then I fight like a son of a bitch, and then I take care of my kids and my grandkids. Then I fight like a son of a bitch, and then I shoot my bow and arrow. How does Mark Geis get out of the, the, the painful memories of that rooftop in Benghazi and what I, I believe our government, to whatever degree, we'll never know, but our government had a hand in the death of your brothers. Well, I think we do know the, the, the role that our government played in Benghazi, but on 9-11-2001, when those planes hit those towers in the, the field in Pennsylvania and the Pentagon, how do you deal with the aftermath? Uh, because you were there. You lit, I'm sure you cradled your brother in your arms as they died. Um, how are you doing today and how are you getting over it? And what would you recommend to people that constantly worry and stress themselves about the treachery that our own government is perpetuating? You know, there's a couple of things. And really it is uh, one has um, you got to have that relationship with the Lord. Um, first God. and foremost is you have to, you know, that relationship with God above um, he was there that night helping us. We wouldn't have survived. You know, the, the last attack on the, uh, on, on the annex that kind of ended is when Ty, Tyrone Woods um, and Glenn Doherty, uh, call sign Bub, um, Ronan Bub got killed and I got injured was, uh, you know, and we had kind of a lull. Glenn, Bub's team came in from uh, um, 
Triple E, they were the only ones that were able to get in. And uh, they did it by the grace of God because they had met a guy earlier that day uh, who owned an airplane and they got to know him earlier in the day that had, with no idea that this was happening. So when everything kicked off and there was no one else coming, um, they went and asked this guy up in Tripoli, hey, can we get, can we use your plane? We got this going on and we need to use it. And he said, yes, my pilots will be there. And uh, it was, you know, it, it was a smaller twin engine uh, jet, but it carried about probably 15, 20 people. Um, and they jumped on it and nine of them come down, landed at a international airport that's controlled by a militia. Um, you know, you think TSA is bad, wait until you land in a foreign country with a bunch of guns and a bag full of money going to help your brothers um, that are under attack. And, uh, and they came in and did that. They were able to negotiate with the, uh, that militia to get an escort into our place because none of the guys that were coming had ever been there before. Um, they roll up about five o'clock in the morning and they, and they all go inside except for one. And that was Bob and, you know, Bob, I never knew him before that night. Um, I knew him by rep. I should say I knew him by reputation. And he's that guy that you just would always want on your team. I mean, he he always had a smile on his face, no matter how bad things were. He uh, always was upbeat. And he brought the tempo of and the morale of everybody else up just because of his presence. And he comes up on the rooftop instead of going inside. And he comes over and Ty introduces him to me. Um, you know, and I, and this getting into be what we call beginning BMNT, beginning morning nautical twilight. It's that 30 minutes, 45 minutes before the sun actually breaks the horizon. Um, and you can start seeing shadows and stuff because light's coming over the horizon, but it just, the sun hasn't broken up above it. Um, and you know, and, and traditionally that's when, when people attack and I'd say, you know, Hey guys, like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen soon. And they had stepped to my, to, to my left and, uh, had started talking a little bit and it wasn't but three to five minutes and a RPG came screaming down at our, um, that night and it hit the wall right out in front of us. Simultaneously, a mortar landed on the wall on the opposite end of the building in front of one where one of the state department guys was. Um, it blew up. Um, they opened up with belt fed machine guns, AK 47s and. So Ty had a belt-fed machine gun, him and me on my A4. We opened up back. Glenn, he was kind of moving behind us, getting separation because y'all don't want to be sitting in the same spot firing. You want to get him in a crossfire. And so he's moving away from it. And that's when the uh, the next mortar hit. And it hit about 15 feet to my right. And it landed in you know, most every building over there in the Middle East. They, they got a flat rooftop, and it's usually got a wall about three foot high around the top of it. And uh that mortar had hit and I was in the middle of changing mags. I'd kind of knelt down a little bit and was halfway standing back up to start shooting. And uh, that explosion kind of knocked me back a little bit. I caught my balance, um, started to come back up again. I brought my left arm up to shoot. And that's when I saw Ty in a fetal position at my feet on the left. And uh, I bring my left arm up to grab my gun. And from about here down, it was just kind of hanging off uh um, holding on by a few, some skin and, uh, and maybe a tendon or two. And, you know, but in my mind, okay, Glenn hasn't gotten into the fight. Dave, the state department guy's out of the fight. Ty's out of the fight. So I'm not feeling any pain at this moment because I, I've got to stay in the fight. So I'm swinging my arm trying to make it work because I'm shooting. And, uh, that's when uh, the next mortar hits and it hit just a little bit further into the building on the top and landed really close to Glenn and it took him out. 
So again, I turn back and start to try shooting again. And I'm just trying to really swing my arm up to make it work. Cause I figure if I try hard enough, it'll happen. And that's when the third one hit. And the third one was the one that I really felt pain and it felt like I got stung by a thousand bees. Um, and I figured I better get to some cover because if a fourth one comes, I'm probably not going to make it. Um, but, um, and, and to, to kind of put it in perspective, an 81 millimeter mortar, and that's what they were launching on us, has a kill radius of about 131 feet. Mm. And that means if you're within that kill radius, you've got about a 97% chance of dying if you're within 131 feet of one of them. Um, and again, I, I, this is why I got to give grace to the Lord up above is his angels had their bought their, their armor of faith around me because, uh, I was within 15 to 17 feet of three of them. So I should have died three times that night right there at, at that point alone. Um, but I was lucky. I kind of got to the ground and everything just went quiet. And, uh, you know, and again, why did that happen? Uh, you know, they, if they would have kept launching mortars, they could have destroyed everybody in there, but they didn't. And uh, I said, my first thing is, and it goes back to being prepared. I sit up and I've got my tourniquet or my med pouch on me. I pull out a tourniquet because you get injured. And this goes back to what we were talking about the other night is, uh, you know, being prepared is how many people have a medical kit in their car? And most people do, but it's usually in the trunk. How many of you have can reach it from your seat in the driver's seat? Because if you get injured in a, traffic accident or whatever you slide off the road can you and you, you you're bleeding you have the ability to stop that bleeding at hand that's what you got to do and that's what i did i grabbed my tourniquet and i started trying to get it on and I, it was kind of a a, a, a lesson in futility because i'd hold my arm up i'd reach for the tourniquet try to get it pushed over my hand and my arm would fall down and then i saw tig come up over the rooftop and he was able to get two tourniquets put on Dave because Dave was really pretty jacked up. Um, he was worse off than I was. And then uh, Tig came across. He saved his – Tig saved Dave's life, came across, got over to me, and he, he walked up to me. And, and Tig, you just got to know him. I mean, he's got that personality that's kind of – he makes you laugh in the most uh, inopportune times in the world. Um, but he comes up, and I'm trying to hold my arm up and grab it. And he's like, hey, Oz, you might want to quit playing with that thing. He ain't going to make it any better. And he reaches down and gets that tourniquet put on. And uh, and then he helps me stand up and he asks, hey, can you get over to the ladder by yourself? And I'm like, yeah, because, you know, in my mind, I knew I was really still hoping that Ty and Glenn were going to be alive. Um, you know, I, I didn't have I, I couldn't think of them as being dead. So and I knew that Tig could take care of them. So I walked over to the ladder um, and I got over to there and that's when the next guy come up and he's, and the guy asked me if I could get down off the ladder, down the ladder on my own. And, and, you know, I'm, again, I'm thinking of everyone else. I'm hoping that cause he's going to help take care of that. And I says, yeah, just help me get up on this ledge. And so I'm sitting on the edge there with my legs kind of dangling down. And uh, now I'm trying to figure out, okay, I just volunteered to get off on, get on this ladder and climb down to how the hell do I get on the ladder? Because, see, I don't mind if I go out in a gunfight. If I go out in a gunfight, I'm going to have a pile of brass around me and bad guys freaking wishing, crying to their mothers or, not, or you know, or, or making their way up to see Allah. Um, but the way I didn't want my obituary to read was, say, survive gunfight, survive gunfight, got blown up three times, fell off roof and broke neck, right? <laughs> Who wants that as their freaking obituary? I mean, that's not going to be my legacy. So I'm sitting there thinking, how am I going to get down? So. I just leaned over and 
hooked the top rung of that ladder in my arm like this and just slid off and my body turned sideways. I figured, hey, it's going to land right on the, you know, it's got a physics is, should make it land right on the ladder. Well, Murphy's Law, what can go wrong will go wrong is my feet fell through the ladder instead of landing on the rungs, but I had a death grip on it and I was able to pull myself back up, climb on down, walk around, ran into another guy coming out. He brought me in and laid me down. And, uh, you know, and then I had to direct the, uh, the case officers there. I had to, with all my injuries, I had to direct them on how to take care of me. I said, you know, you got to get my clothes cut off. If it's squirting, take care of it. If it's oozing, don't worry about it. Get, get the squirters stopped first because those are the ones that are going to kill you. Um, and we got all that taken care of. Got Dave back down. And about 7 o'clock, 7, 7 o'clock in the morning, we finally were able to get another militia to come in and help escort us um, out to the airport. We got loaded up, headed out there, and uh, that's kind of how I got out of Benghazi. Yeah. We couldn't take everybody out, though, because we still had the shooters and the plane would only hold about 20 people. We had about 29, 27 or 29 of us there um, with the shooters. And uh, so they were going to stay behind. And, you know, we were just worried at this point, you know, people say, well, weren't you expecting the government? You know, what? I lost what we knew we could do is take care of each other, because that's what America is about, is taking care of each other. Um, And so we were going to send that plane back and. We landed in Tripoli about 10 o'clock um, and about the same time a C-130 landed uh, in Benghazi. And the guys thought, man, we got, they did send an airplane. But unfortunately, that plane came in, took a right-hand turn, and instead of an American flag being on it, it was a Libyan flag. Um, but again, you know, those guys being resourceful, they went over and talked to the pilot and the co-pilot. And uh, it was uh, kind of convinced them that it was in their, their financial interest to uh to fly them back to Tripoli and so they were we were able to recover the ambassador's body from the hospital he had died of smoke inhalation got him pulled back out to the airport the boys got them all loaded up uh Sean Smith uh Glenn Bub uh, you know and Tyrone and the ambassador loaded up on that uh, C130 and the Libyan pilots flew him out of Benghazi what what were the final casualties uh, from the event um, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure. I do know that, you know, there was approximately, throughout the night, there was approximately three, 400 people attacking us. Um, I know they, I had heard through the grapevine that they did find a mass grave in Zombieland there that probably had 150 or better, uh, 150 to 200 people dead in it. Um, so, you know. What were the casualties on our side? We had, we lost four and uh, two injured severely. Um so, you know, and all in all, that's a pretty good gunfight. You know, if, if you got to sacrifice four for uh, 200, I'll do that every day of the week. Well, Mark, thanks so much for sharing this story with us because uh, everybody chants the, uh, the, the obvious, and that is we must never forget. So uh, I think uh, you're driving home the point. I think Keith and I would like to know, is the movie 13 Hours, was it reasonably accurate? It was. You know, Michael Bay was the right guy for it. I mean, uh Hey, let, let me stop you right here because we're out of time today, but that will be perfect for our Friday night free-for-all topic, Ted. We'll come back tomorrow night. Let's talk about the Friday uh, free-for-all 13-hour Benghazi movie. I know you got some stories and Ted has questions. Okay. Let's talk about that tomorrow. Sounds great. God bless everybody. Yeah, see you on the nightly nuge. 
Hey, fans of the Nightly Nuge, you're invited to a free two-day conference that could change your life, but you have to act fast. The Learn to Live Conference is September 22nd and 23rd in Kansas City, Missouri. You'll learn how to create balance between your body, mind, and spirit through God's help. Write down this website, jodygrace.com. That's J-O-D-I-G-R-A-C-E.com. Go there now for more information and to register for free right now.